Hello and welcome to the Praise Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com. I'd like you to get your Bibles today and open them up to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13. And we'll, we're just going to read actually uh, four verses. And it's actually two very quick parables in two sentences. As we continue our series today, Living on Purpose, we are learning how to live with purpose and live purposefully, right? You get this? And uh, living with purpose, listen, this is, this is how you can distinguish it. Living with purpose uh, comes from the inside of us. There's something that drives us to live uh, with purpose. But living purposefully is the fruit of having purpose inside you. So, so you see what I'm saying? Like when, when you see it on the outside, it's, purpo- it's a purposeful life, and that's what we're after here. And so, uh, and so that purpose for us that is different than it is for the rest of the world in the sense that as believers, our purpose comes from Jesus Christ and our relationship with him. And so the parables that Jesus taught become help to us to understand this relationship with him better and to understand how to navigate some of the things we have in this world. So again, we're going to look at these two extremely short, in fact, they're just one sentence each, parables, and uh, isn't it amazing how much our Lord can say in just one sentence? <laughs> He's just, you know, his words are life and light, and I thank him for that. So, Luke chapter 13, verse 18, then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? Here comes the first one. It is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Again, he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? Here's the second one. It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. So my title of my message today is not a typo, okay? <laughs> I'm trying to be cute. If you don't think it's cute, then don't tell me because I'll be upset. But, but, uh, but the idea is uh, to, to, uh, to sow hope, to be people who sow hope as you would sow a seed. I don't think sow here, that's a pig, and I like them too, but in different contexts. But, uh, but I hope so, I hope so. I'm going to be a person who takes hope and sows it in the life of other people. That's where I'm going with that. And so, uh, so, so uh, let's, my intention again is to cause us to live purposefully, sowing hope in the lives, our, our own lives and the lives of those around us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you today uh, for your word, God, as we even look at just a very brief passage here. I pray that the impact of it and what you intended to say through it will come to our hearts. And Lord, I, I know what you've given me to share, and I'm excited to share that today, but I also know that there are things that you will do beyond, so much beyond, what I could say or speak out of my mouth today. And that's what I'm asking for. That's, that's what this represents, this moment in time for us, this next 30 minutes or so, is an opportunity for us to hear from you, and we all want that. If you really do, tell the Lord in your own words right now, Lord, I want to hear from you. Come on, your own words. Just tell him, Lord, I want to hear what you want to say to me. I'm open. The seed of my soil is, or the soil of my heart is ready and open for the word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So, uh, so it's this idea of finding hope in a, in a troubled world that, that, how many agree our world is troubled as you look around you? And, but I love hope, don't you? Hope is a good, important thing, uh, that, that, and I'll take it any way I can get it. There, most of my early ministry life, um, 
I did side work to help supplement our income. We kind of made a commitment, although Rhonda would also pick up side work here and there as she was able. But we made a commitment early on that she would stay home with the boys and raise them. And so the ministry income just wasn't enough to really give us everything we needed. So I figured out ways to make extra money. And I always liked it when I could make a lot of money in a, a, a brief amount of time <laughs> on the side work. That was always exciting. I love that. But there was this one time, uh, one opportunity I had. It was kind of an ongoing opportunity for several years where I worked for a mortgage company that they would foreclose on houses and as sad as that was, people who hadn't paid their payments and things like that. And they would send me in to rekey the house, to, um, to winterize it if it was needed, to mow lawns and to remove refuse and garbage, to do, just, just do some general work to get it ready to be able to be sold again. And so that always, that was the funnest part of that job was I always got to go break into houses. Like, it was, it was so fun. I enjoyed that part of it the best. That was like my favorite. Um, I, would, I would literally in broad daylight walk up with a, in a min, I would come up in my little minivan and I'd put a tool belt on. I'd walk up to the front door and break into houses and nobody ever said a word. Nobody called the cops. I just did it. I'm not trying to give you any ideas. I'm just saying that's what I did. So, uh, but I, yeah, I got to be pretty good at it. I got to be real good at breaking into houses that uh, one, one or two times I actually broke into the wrong house. That's another story. <laughs> I'll save for another time. <laughs> quite, quite frightening in both cases. But anyway, um, but, but so, so I would get this call. But, but besides the, the fun of just, you know, the getting out there and breaking into houses, which I enjoyed, like I said, but the actual, the part I liked really the most was the fact that with every call, there was this idea that there might be something in that house that was left behind that was of value that somebody just left behind. And many times, if they had been gone for a certain amount of days, I think it was 45 days, anything that was left could be removed from the house or discarded, thrown away. Generally, they would even ask me to remove refuse from the house. Well, in some cases, the stuff that people left behind or they forgot in a closet or something like that was treasure. So for me, every time I you remember this, Rhonda went with me a few times and the boys went with me a few times. And so to me, as soon as I'd get the call, I would just get excited because I'd think, what am I going to find? And I found some cool stuff. I found some tools. I found, like, uh, I don't know why anybody had this, but it was like a, a library card uh, box. Not a wooden one. Those would have been really sweet. But this was just a metal one. But I, I looked at this massive thing and it had all these drawers in it. And I thought, that's going in my garage. And now I've got bolts in one, washers in one, screws in another. It's like, it's an amazing thing to have. And I would never have bought it for myself, but it was pretty cool and it's very durable. Just things like that. And so I would always get excited thinking about the stuff that I would end up getting to take home. And so for me, that was like the hope that was behind that. There's, and, and hope is like that, I think. When, when things are miserable sometimes in life, hope will sustain you, won't it? Like if you have even a shred of hope, a little bit of hope, it doesn't take much to, to find that uh, place where you can say, okay, even though things are hard, even though I've gone through a rough time, even though I've faced this thing, I can have hope in this moment. And so I thank God for that. And I've got, I've got to be honest, too, that when Ron and I first started this church back in the year 2000, you know, we started with a lot of enthusiasm, encouragement, and, and the devil didn't like what we were about to do at all. He really didn't. And uh, there was a lot of things that really came down hard on us right off the bat. And of course, you've probably, if you've been here a while, you've heard me talk about that famous day in July of the year 2000. We were meeting in an elementary school gymnasium, which could seat a thousand people. And we had our worship band. We had, this was kind of interesting, for a brand new baby church, because our kids played and Rhonda played, and I I played uh, instruments, and we had a young man who joined us. We had uh, a full band, 
like you had today, basically the same instruments. And so that's how we would do worship. And so we've, we, all, we had this great band. It actually sounded great, we, even though my kids were playing, and they were super talented for their age. And so it was fun. And, and so one Sunday we show up, we've got the full band. I, we have our other son, Abraham, who was too little at the time, and only three other people showed up to church that day. Three people. Do you know how hard it is to and see? In those days, I used to lead worship and preach, and so I'd be up there leading worship, and I'm looking at my son and three other people in the seats, and I'm like, and I'm getting super discouraged. You can imagine, right? Because like, not you know, and I'm trying not to think in these terms, but I'm thinking about how am I going to provide for my family if we can't get this church off the ground? I don't know what we're going to do, right? You know, God help us. And and those thoughts are rushing through my head, and plus the fact I felt this call, and I was thinking, God. Where are you? Did you bring us out in the desert to die? You know, kind of like the Israelites used to complain to God. So, so that was kind of going through my head, and I'm smiling and leading worship. And the whole time on the inside, I'm just despairing. You know what I'm saying? And I'm trying to have a good face on the outside, but on the inside, I'm just in trouble. And I'm really talking to God. You know, you can, do, you can multitask like that. You could be singing and acting like you're really having a great time, and then in the inside, you're talking to God and saying, God, where are you? You called us here. And he, in that moment, he spoke to me two, two different things, and I've talked about these before, and I don't really want to go into the detail of those today so much, but just to say in that moment, God just threw, threw a simple little words that he gave me, two little phrases he spoke to me, just absolutely set my heart on fire, gave me that glimmer of hope I needed again. But even so, it was discouraging, and, and the following week wasn't all that much better, as I remember, and so we had already made an appointment with our district supervisor, because although God had given me this hope, I also, Ron and I were both going, maybe we missed God in some way, I don't know. So we went to see our district supervisor. We went to see Tom Ferguson. He, at that time, the district office was in Snohomish. We went over there and sat down across, and we said, you know, we felt called. You've invested some money in us. They gave us a little bit of money. We went, and we've done this. We haven't been able to sell our house in Ellensburg. We aren't in the community yet. There's only four people showing up to church, you know, the whole thing. And uh, we went through the whole thing with him. And so at the end of that whole conversation, just this wise man of God who's now with the Lord, uh, said to us, he said, listen, here's the deal, Salaranda. We believe in you guys. And so even if this doesn't work out, we'll find another place for you. Well, I don't know about you. Maybe that wouldn't mean so much to you, but that meant the world, didn't it, when he said that to us? That was like, oh, suddenly the heaviness and the pressure was off. And then he gave us some money, too, which is also a nice little ray of sunshine, right? But he gave us some money. He said, here's some money for advertising. And so we made plans to do some, uh, in those days, doing uh, newspaper advertising. There wasn't really any internet or web pages in those days. That seems like it was so long ago, but it really wasn't. But, uh, but seriously, no, no churches really had web pages in 2000. Or if they did, it was really rare. Nobody really cared. So... So we, we, uh, but we took that money and put it into some newspaper and some radio advertising that fall. And, and, and in, in a space of a few weeks, we went from a church of four to a church of 60 people uh, that started coming. And then it grew from there. And praise God, it was just great. But uh, my point in telling those stories is, is that there, hope can come from a lot of different sources. And sometimes it comes directly from the Lord, and that's good. But isn't it nice when somebody comes along <laughs> and just speaks a word of hope into your life and just gives you that hope? And so... So I thank God. I don't care where it comes from, but I really appreciate hope. And rather than thinking of, uh, you know, when our district supervisor said, doesn't matter if that works out where you're at, 
rather than thinking of that as an escape clause of some sort, we looked at that as like, okay, we can do this. We're okay. We, we, the Lord is with us. Our district supervisor is with us. We can go do this. And God helped it to work out. But fa- people, we, we all have faced difficulties in our lives. We faced all kinds of loss in life. And it's never easy. We know, but we know people who have made it through the death of a spouse or a death of a loved one, death of a child. These things are just monumentally hard to imagine. There can be extremely difficult relationship issues that people deal with, deep and abiding medical issues that are ongoing, deep and terrible financial issues where just feeling like not getting by. We, might look, you know, we may look at some things that other people have gone through, and I've done this. I've thought, how on earth are you getting through that? How are you doing that? And, um, and, but, but, and the answer is always the same. It really is always the same. Somewhere there was a ray of hope. Just a little bit. It doesn't take much. It's just a ray of hope. Without hope, people will disp- descend into, uh, oftentimes into deep depression. They'll gravitate towards drug or alcohol addiction or some kind of other addiction to fulfill their lives because they don't know what else to do. And in the worst cases, people will commit suicide because they've absolutely, that's when you've lost hope completely. And you think there's nothing that's going to help me, no way I'm going to get out of this. So that's where that goes. As believers, though, and I I hope this is true of you, here I am hoping. But we always have hope, don't we? Right? Even if everything else in our lives unravels, we have the hope of Jesus Christ, and we have the hope of the life to come. I've said it many times, and I I think... uh, Pastor Debbie's, we, I think we've said this to each other so many times, it's amazing, but we, we'll just sit there and we'll hear something and then we'll go, I don't know how people do it without Jesus. I don't know how people get through life without knowing Him. Because I've had times in my life where I thought, this is just no good. Like this, I'm not enjoying anything right now. But then I always remember there's that hope, that hope of the Lord. And I don't know how people do it without Him. Hope is so powerful, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, think about it. We go to school. Maybe we go to school because we're, we're made to go to school. But, but after a while, we get to a place, and maybe into college especially, we go to school in the hope that it will improve our lives and we'll get a good job someday, right? Or if, we, if we're single and we want to be married, we go on dates or we swipe right uh, with the hope that we'll find someone to love, right? <laughs> okay? If we're married and we desire children, we look forward to the time when the little ones start coming along. And, uh, you know, if, and, but we, and so they come, and then we think to ourselves, what was I thinking? <laughs> you know, and we, we endure the, but we endure the diaper changing. We endure the feedings and the cryings and all the other little uh, things of life because we look for better things. We have hope for better things for that child. And then we hope for grandchildren. Amen. Yeah. And it gets pretty fun. You play with them, you give them lots of sugar and send them home. It's great. But we, we, there's other things. We volunteer and give time to help in different ways to worthy organizations in the hope that we can uh, help someone else have hope. And, and in many cases, hope to make the world a better place. Are you with me? In 1952, there was a lady by the name of Florence Chadwick. She was an amazing uh, swimmer. And uh, I have a picture of uh, Florence in the water here. 
And uh, so she began to swim the chilly ocean. She actually swam the English Channel both directions. She was the first woman to ever do that, not in the same day, mind you, but different days. But she also swam between, uh, and Rhonda and I have been to Catalina Island off of California coast. It's about 26 miles from, from Catalina, uh, and she was swimming from Catalina Island back to the mainland or to California uh, the coast there, and so 26 miles, and she began to, to, to swim, and she swam on a very, very foggy day through some very choppy water, and uh, after about 15 hours of swimming, think about it, 15 hours of swimming, her muscles began to cramp, and her resolve to get to the other side weakened, and uh, she begged those who were attend. you know, there, she wasn't ever grabbing the boat, but the boat was nearby if she called out for help. And at that point, she gave up and said, no, bring me into the boat. I can't go any further in this fog and choppy water. And sadly, after they got her out of the water and paddled just a little bit further, they saw that the shore had only been about 800 more yards, just that close. And she said these words. She said, all I could see was the fog. And later she said, I think if I could have seen the shore... I would have made it. Isn't that the way it is? Man, if I could have just seen that shore. See, without hope, getting through difficult times is unlikely at best. It, every day people are giving up because they can no longer see the goal. They no longer see what they're really after. So they lose hope or they put their hope in the wrong thing. You with me? You start hoping in the wrong thing. Now, now the story that Jesus tells, this Jesus story here, is uh, uh, the first part is about a mustard seed. And a mustard seed is very tiny. It's only about a millimeter across. And, and yet, if you plant it in the dirt, it can grow in one year into a tree that is uh, 12 feet high, and birds can come and perch in its branches. Think about it. 12 feet, I don't even know if I can reach what 12 feet, that's only probably 10. So think about from a tiny millimeter seed in one year to something taller than I could even reach above the ground right here. That's something else, isn't it? And then, then yeast, in the same way, if, you're, if you ever cook, uh, you, you would know this is true, but you get that little bitty packet of yeast, right? And you rip it open, you dump it in, you think, that's not much. There's not much to that. And then the particles of yeast, they're so small, but, but when you mix it into the dough, it, it begins to uh, uh, create carbon uh, dioxide gas and turns into bubbles, and that causes the dough to rise. And pretty soon you have, uh, you have this rising dough, and then, then it's delicious, right? It's, just good. it's delicious. It's amazing. So in this story about the bread. The woman is making a lot of bread. It's, it says about, in the NIV here, it says about 60 pounds of flour. And uh, so comparatively thinking about the amount of yeast that would take is a very, very small amount of yeast. Um, but this was enough to make 12, about 1,200 slices of bread. It'd be a lot of bread. It's interesting to note the word that Jesus uses to describe how she put the yeast into the bread. Now, here in the NIV, it says, uh, it says she mixed it into the dough, but, but almost all the other versions use the word she hid it in the dough, and it really, in the original language, is, is more closely uh, akin to the word hid it. She hid it away. Think about this with me. Both the mustard seed, right, and the yeast must be hidden, right? You with me? You can't see it, but what happens is you can see the results of it. All right? So, so that's what Jesus obviously is taking both of these small parables and tying them together in the fact that the, here's this tiniest little thing, but if you put it in the right place, though you may not be able to see it, that, that, that thing in particular, you will see the results of it. 
It will come. In, in John chapter 3, Jesus is talking with a man named Nicodemus. And uh, Nicodemus is a ruler in the synagogue. He comes to Jesus at night. Some people have preached a message, and, and, but I would never use this, this title because it's been used, but Nick at night, you know. And so, <laughs> but <laughs> that's just cheesy. That's what that is. But, um, <clears throat> but anyway, so Nick, <laughs> Nick uh, comes along, though, and he's speaking to Jesus, and he's just trying to wrap his mind around this whole idea of eternal life. And then, and then Jesus tells him, Nick, you've got to be born again. You've got to be born again. And Nicodemus doesn't understand this. He's trying to wrap his mind around it. And he, he's going literal on Jesus. He says, what, am I supposed to go back into my mother's womb? And Jesus is like, you know, flat forehead syndrome. Like, come on, Nick. I'm talking about you've got to re be reborn spiritually, not physically. You have to be born of the Spirit. And then immediately after Jesus says that to him in John 3, 8 on the screen, it says this, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. That's the thing about the wind. You can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind. Especially in this fall when the leaves get whipped up and you, you say, wow, it's windy out today. But you can't see the wind, but you can hear the effects of it. You can see the winds, the, the leaves flipping through the air, borne on the wind, but you can't see it. And that's, that's how hope is. You remember how the text started out today. Do we remember the, both of these parables? Jesus said, asked this question, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? He's trying to get us to understand something about the kingdom. He's trying to get us to wrap our minds around what the kingdom is about. The kingdom is a hidden thing, and, but you see its effects everywhere. The kingdom of God. See, Jesus came when he died on the cross and rose from the dead. The kingdom of God started then. It's already in effect. And, and this is part of the kingdom, the gathering of the people of God. But it's also when you're out in the marketplace and you're doing the will of God in, in the work that you do, you do it for the glory of God. Whatever you do, you don't have to be in church to be doing God's work. You understand, right? In fact, I think it's better to do God's work out there. It's kind of easy to do it in here. Everybody's pretty much on my side. They haven't thrown any tomatoes yet. Please don't. I'd be very hurt. But, but you understand what I'm saying? But that's where the, the rubber meets the road is when you share the love of God out there. And, and so that's, this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, but the, the kingdom is all around us. It's established around us. And, and so he's talking about, he's talking to a group of people in these parables, the Jews, who are deeply disappointed over the centuries of failure. Man, they, they keep getting these great promises from God, and then they mess up. They get another great promise from God, and they mess up. And then God gives them these promises that says, you will never fail to have someone on the throne of David, and yet the throne of David is demolished, and they're going, what happened? We had our hope in that. But they missed it a little bit. And they didn't understand that David's descendant, Jesus Christ, would come along one day and that he would establish his throne. But it, watch, listen carefully. It's an invisible thing. The kingdom of God is invisible. In fact, God himself is invisible to us right now. Right? And I'd never be able to, I could never open a door someplace and go open, welcome you into a room and say, here's God. We wouldn't, in our flesh, we wouldn't be able to handle that. It would destroy us because it just, it just would. We could not be able, we're not ready to stand face to face with God. But when we are transformed into our new bodies that God gives us, we will stand before him and we will see him face to face. Face to face, you understand? 
And I preached this years ago from Revelation where it says he'll wipe every tear from our eyes. Do you know how close you have to be to someone to wipe every tear from their eyes? He's going to do that for you and me. He's going to stand before you and wipe tears from your eyes. And you'll never cry again. They'll never be sad. Do you understand what I'm saying? But God's invisible to us now. And yet, we see the effects of God, don't we? We see, his, we see Him in each other, don't we? We see Him all around. And so, so for the whole Old Testament, the, for the Jews, was the story of how God kept intersecting their lives and gave them hope. But during Jesus' time, under the now Roman occupation and rule, they knew that things in this world were not as they were meant to be. They, the, they compared the promises of God to what they were seeing around them, and they said, this is not as it should be. And Jesus is trying to prepare them for the answer to that, which is Him. Peter tells us to, the, to listen. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that you have. Always be ready. What is the reason of the hope you have? Oh, is it because the economy's doing great in America right now? No. That could change tomorrow, don't you know? Is it because we live, you know, you, don't, you understand, uh, anything could happen. Anything could happen around us. What is the reason for the hope that's in you today? What is it? Come on, it's Jesus Christ. And so we're ready to give an answer to anybody that asks, why are you hopeful? What are you hoping in? I need to know because I don't get it and I don't have hope and I see that you have hope and we have the reason inside us. It's our hope is sure. And I, I think people in this world have a sense that things like the Jews at that time, did not, they realize things are not as they should be. People in this world today have that same sense. They know that things are not as they ought to be. And they're looking for hope and they're looking for something real. And often, as I say, they put hope in things that will fail them. Our hope is sure. It's in Christ, and it's invisible. It's, even though it's invisible, it's a, real, it's a very real kingdom that we are a part of. Very real. Yeah. And in Hebrews 6.19, it says that this hope we're talking about is an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. So even though you can't see it, it it's like, you know, when you have an anchor, and you drop it, and it's stuck in a rock underwater, right? You know what I'm saying? It's gripping hold. You can't see that anchor, but it keeps you from being moved. All right? And that's what hope is from God, is it gets us an anchor into the solid rock of Jesus Christ. It will never let go, and will always be secure throughout the worst storm. We will not be moved. I'm not saying the boat won't move up and down. We might get a little wet. Right? Do you understand? We're out here on the surface where, things, where the visible world is. But in the invisible world of God's kingdom, we are anchored. In Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And so hope, listen, in every case, hope is a hidden thing, isn't it? Yeah. Really, the real, the real hope is hidden. The kingdom of God, the things of the Spirit, the hope that we all have, it's all hidden to the world. But again, the evidence is all around. This is how faith works. You don't see God, you can't prove God, but you see evidence everywhere. Romans 5, let me share this, uh, five verses with you here. One through five. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we glory in our sufferings. See, this is when it starts getting real right here. We get into suffering. You know, I don't like the sound of this, but the Lord is telling us you will suffer, right? I don't... I want to make something clear. God doesn't want us to suffer. He's just telling us we will suffer. 
Can anybody attest to the fact that you've suffered in your life at one point? Okay, that should be everybody, if you're being real. We've all suffered in one. You may say, well, compared to that person, I don't consider myself. Well, okay, that's fine, but you've suffered. Everybody's suffered. And so God is saying, everybody's going to suffer, but he says this is what suffering's going to do. It's going to produce perseverance, and that's good, and then perseverance will build your character, and then character is going to bring you to a new place, which is hope, and hope won't disappoint you, <laughs> and it won't put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out in our heart, has been given to us, and so we can start the cycle over again because we have hope, and that way when we go through sufferings, it'll produce perseverance and character and hope, and it'll start over, and you see this cycle happening over and over again where the hope gets deeper and, and more sustained in our lives. Are you with me? So we, we arrive at hope in this process when we start with faith and believing and hope will never put us to shame. With hope, we can go through all kinds of suffering, and, uh, and we'll get through that. Now think about it. From the very beginning of creation, hope was there. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, think about Adam and Eve in the garden. They, uh, you, know, you get to chapter 3, all we know so far is things are really good with God. He created the amazing world that we live in, created Adam and Eve. There they are. And now chapter three comes along and Eve's wandering into part of the garden she shouldn't be in, but Adam's just following around like a puppy dog, you know, whatever you want, Eve. And uh, she says, oh, look at that fruit. And the devil comes along. He says, you know what? That fruit will make you wise. That fruit, you just go ahead. You have some of that fruit. And so she ate it and gave some to her husband. The Bible says who was with her, right? So it wasn't like she came along later and said, hey, you know, like he's watching this whole thing unfold and not stepping in. And so sure enough, Adam eats. And when Adam eats, then the, th the, the universe really literally starts to become unraveled at that point. Sin has entered the human race. It's entered the universe. And all of creation has been tossed into a frenzy ever since that thing. And that's all happening in the first 14 verses of chapter 13. But by the time you get to the 15th verse, so you don't really, from the time of the sin until you get to this verse, you're really only going nine verses later, okay? And this is what God says to the enemy when he's pronouncing judgment. He says, I will put enmity or strife. This is from the uh, New King James Version. I'll tell you why in a moment. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. The newer translations use the word offspring for seed, and that's fine, but the Hebrew root word actually has to do with a seed. And it's an interesting word choice because we typically don't think of a woman as having seed that, that in her part of, of a pregnancy that we wouldn't think of that that way. And what God is saying is, is that this, all of this amazing creation that has been made toxic by the sin of these humans, God is already starting to plant the seed for the hope of the troubles of the world and that, that through Eve now she will have a child. But, and you say, well, it sounds like it's going to happen right away. No, it took thousands and thousands of years. But it started with the first one. And then the hope continued through each male child that was born. Sorry, ladies, but that's just the way it worked out. But every male child that was born, ladies are just as valuable, right? But, but you understand that Jesus would be born a male child. And so that, that every male child that was born to those who were of the promise of God, they kept hoping that, that that would be the one. That would be the one. And then one day, a little gal by the name of Mary, drawing water at a well, hears from the Holy Spirit. And says to her, you're going to bear that seed. You're going to have that seed that was talked about. 
and suddenly the God-man is, 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 is in the womb of Mary. And the seed for the hope of the troubles of the world was, was in her. God is doing a great work. Amen? Amen? Worship team, come on back up. So here's the thing. Here's the thing, church. With both the seed and the yeast, think about this with me. We have to plant them, don't we? Plant them or hide them, okay? And, and, we, and once having done that, we need to trust them. If you See, here's the problem a lot of times with our hope is we will plant that seed of hope and then we go back and dig it up and then we ruin it. But we just have to trust it and let it work itself out. But here's one more thing I want you to think about with me. With both the seed and the yeast, both of them need the right conditions to grow in, don't they? Okay, so I just want to add this little thought to the end. See, in the natural, both the seed and the yeast are going to need moisture and the right temperatures to grow in. Those two things. Does that, that make sense? This is like first grade science class, right? We have to give hope the right conditions too. For us, we water that seed with the word of God. Amen? This is why I'm constantly saying, read your Bible. Do you understand how privileged we are to have the Word of God and to be able to not only read it from a book? This has not been common in the world. Do you understand? And yet we take it for granted. But not only that, we have it in electronic. We can have it read to us. We can see visual depictions of the Word of God acted out in front of us. We can have the Word in ways that people have not dreamed of until the last 20 years or so. Even the written Word of God wasn't available to common people until a couple hundred years ago. And then expensive and hard to come by. And yet we have, we have the Word so available to us, and we don't take time to, to read it and get that watering from it. In Ephesians, it talks about even husbands in a home washing with water through the Word, their, their wives, by sharing the Word of God with their wives. There's something about being in the Word of God, getting that poured into our lives, that living water begins. There's this integral connection between Jesus Christ and His Word. He, it's the living Word, and it begins to water it. And so that condition can be met if we will stay in the Word of God. We have no excuse not to be reading our Bibles every day, every day. Even if you're just reading a few verses, just get a little something out of it. But let the Word soak in for that seed of hope to be able to grow. The second condition is the warmth. The, the, the warmth. And I believe we can bring warmth to the seed and to the yeast in, in those play, dark places by the fire of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I love what Brent had to say today about, come on, don't be afraid to allow your emotions to get involved in this. We ought to be passionate. We ought to be excited about a God who would give everything for us. And so we would give everything for Him. We have no problem lifting our hands. And, but we were inviting the fire of the Holy Spirit. Come on, warm it up, Lord. Turn up the heat level in my life. Make me more like you. I want to do this. I want to be like you. So God, and now we've got, the we've got the moisture. We've got the water. We've got the heat of the power of the Holy Spirit. And all right, can you feel it starting to grow? Can you feel it starting to grow? Now, can I tell you also, so be in the Word. Be filled with the Spirit. But can I tell you also that we have the ability to help create the right conditions for other people? All most people need, honestly, is a little bit of encouragement in their lives. Seriously. A lot of people, you know, you know, have you ever been trying to do something, you're about ready to give up, and somebody, maybe a parent at one point, just said, come on, you can do it. And you just suddenly get a 
like a second wind. You know what I'm talking about? You get, like, I can do that. Or maybe you were playing in some kind of sport, and you thought, man, I've laid everything out. I've given it all. I've run as hard as I can, and somebody comes up beside you and says, come on, man. In our cross-country team, I remember in high school, people would, and, and I don't know what it meant, but they always used to say, Rip City, and that meant run faster. I don't know. <laughs> but it was like this word of encouragement. We all got it. And it made us participate harder and ride harder and not give up. We had hope. We didn't let our tiredness get to us. And I, I'm just asking you today, I want to ask you if you would, and I don't know how you're going to remember this. Maybe you put a reminder in your phone, but w- could we consider this week looking for someone different every day to bring a word of encouragement to? Maybe it's somebody at a restaurant. Maybe it's somebody at the bank. Maybe it's somebody at work or school. But you just, just say something kind to them. Just make them feel encouraged. Just watch what hope will do. Well, you say, well, what about me? Do you know you reap what you sow? Hello? So if you begin to encourage other people, what do you think is going to start happening to you? You're going to begin to reap it as well. You'll begin to get it. And you're going to expect this week a harvest of encouragement and hope for yourself. Are you with me? You remember Florence Chadwick? Well, she took some time off, a couple months, went out thinking, oh, I've got a better day ahead of me. Um, and, uh, and sure enough, the fog settled in again. And it was thicker this time. And she began to swim and swim and swim for her destination. And, uh, and she was hoping for clear weather. But this time, she kept the mental picture in her mind of what the shore looked like because she'd seen it before. And do you know this time she made it all the way to that shore? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hope gives us the power and the strength to press on, even through the toughest stuff. How about you today? I want to ask you, can you see the shore? Can you see the shore that's ahead? Can you see that goal? Can you see that thing that God has for you? Let's stand together. Don't give up. Don't give in. Let's sow hope in others. Let's let the Lord sow hope in us. Amen. Thank you for listening to Praise Center Sermon of the Week. Don't forget, for more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com.